Well, hello, I'm Eliza Jones, and for as long as I can remember, people have been telling me that I should turn my wildly detailed dreams into short stories. Just for fun, I also like to interpret my dreams, and some of the results are weirdly accurate, outrageous, or funny. With my tongue firmly in cheek, I'll share these dreams and interpretations with you, along with superstitions, astrology, and other paranormal things. Welcome to Wouldn't Dream of It. This week's dream is called Disarranged Marriage. The dream began with me on an airliner in what appeared to be first-class seating. The man seated next to me apparently was my new husband, and I was emigrating to his country to live with his family. I never learned this man's name, so I'll call him Harris. During the long flight, Harris described his island country to me. With its lush green mountains and terraced gardens in the valleys, it sounded like paradise. He told me of the country's matriarchal society, dating back to the earliest years of the Common Era. Most worrisome for me, though, were the customs of arranged marriage and the prohibition of marrying outsiders. This was information that I probably would have found more useful before I got married. Unfortunately, our flight landed at night, so I was unable to see the outside. The darkness in the tree-covered valley was deep, and the skyline wasn't visible during the short drive from the airport. When we arrived at the home of Harris's family, the only light came from small lanterns mounted on the ground and roof at the corners of the home. As we prepared to enter the house, Harris confessed to me that not only were the family and the government ruled by women, but his mother held a very high rank among the women. She was not accustomed to being defied, and in an effort to avoid arguing with her from thousands of miles away, he had not told her that he was bringing home a bride. This was going to be awful. Needless to say, Harris's mother was not happy when he arrived with a bride of another race who doesn't practice their religion and wasn't approved by his parents prior to the marriage. She wore her disapproval in every nonverbal way possible. She drew herself up to her full height, her spine as straight as a lightning rod. Her eyes were narrowed until only a sliver of her irises were visible, and her face was drawn tight over her cheekbones. I almost stepped behind Harris to protect myself. Despite having just completed a long and exhausting trip, we were required to stand before Harris's mother and father as they spoke with my husband in their native tongue. Harris was translating parts of the conversation for me, and the gist of it was that they were hoping to find a loophole that would make our marriage invalid. Harris repeatedly assured his parents that everything was done legally and religiously, and we were irrevocably married. How could he put me in this position? After what seemed like hours of conversation with Harris's parents, they called their daughter, who I will call Sylvia, to meet me. 
The future matriarch of the family was a lovely woman who greeted me as if we were the best of friends rather than strangers. She hugged me tightly, kissed both of my cheeks, and exclaimed to her brother that now she had a sister thanks to him. It was nice that someone welcomed me. As the droning conversation with Harris's parents went on, I learned that upon the death of the family's matriarch, it was compulsory for the estate to be equally bequeathed to the females of blood descent. Because Harris and Sylvia were the only children in the family, this meant that Sylvia would inherit. But the family's greatest concern was for the next generation of inheritance. The issue was that it was impossible for Sylvia to bear children. When Sylvia had become engaged to her now husband, she was unaware that another woman had hoped her family would arrange for him to marry her. Just before they were to wed, Sylvia fell ill with appendicitis, and the surgeon on call was the very same woman who had wanted to marry Sylvia's fiancé. During what should have been a routine appendectomy, the surgeon had vindictively removed Sylvia's ovaries as well. I looked into Sylvia's eyes and saw the sadness that she held over this abominable act and its consequences. I embraced her for a long time, and Harris's parents waited until the embrace was finished before going on. What did this inheritance chatter have to do with me? Well, at the end of Sylvia's life, if there was no female of the blood to inherit the estate, it would be divided among other prominent women in their village. Obviously, the family was now looking to me to produce the female heir who would save their legacy. Harris hadn't yet informed the family that I also couldn't bear children due to being a woman of a certain age, even though I didn't look that age, and having my tubes tied many years before. He elected to go on without breaking this news to them. When my mother-in-law finally dismissed us from the prolonged introductory lecture, I expressed to Harris my fear that his parents might do something rash when they found out that I was incapable of producing a female heir. Harris assured me that I would not be in danger when his parents found out, but I was no longer confident in anything. The role of a new bride in this country was to dress in bridal finery and sit in a bridal suite every day for several weeks to receive guests. The heavily embroidered red gown was gorgeous and comfortable, and I was adorned with golden rings on all of my fingers and most of my toes. Stacks of gold bracelets and anklets were added, and then a heavy necklace of gold and huge pearls was placed around my neck. Finally, a crown of gold discs shaped somewhere between coins and sequins, was placed on my head. I was given several lovely seating options, including a curving chase lounge, a thickly cushioned chair, and an even more thickly cushioned bench with high armrests. All were upholstered in the same color red as my gown. There was a standing area that was cushioned with layered rugs that felt like silk under my bare feet. Though well-appointed, the bridal suite's decor was disappointing. The receiving area was a large square room with walls the color of the red clay dirt that stained my shoes as a child. The low ceiling was the same color as the walls, and other than the plain light fixture, nothing broke up the continuous red-brown color. I was told that the room lacked decor to ensure that nothing rivaled the bride's lovely visage but I felt like a circus attraction, trapped and put on display in the world's ugliest room, 
The first week's guests didn't make me feel any less like a trained elephant or a two-headed dog. They would comment on my skin and hair, often touching me without permission. They used English to greet me, but then they reverted to their native language to talk about me as if I wasn't there reading their facial expressions, which ranged from curiosity to disgust. I was feeling lonely and inadequate after that first week, and Harris asked me what he could do to, quote, bring the sunshine back to my eyes, end quote. I told him that although Sylvia spent lots of time with me, I really missed my best friend, Mishy. I don't know how Harris arranged it, but within two days, Mishy arrived to stay with me for the remainder of my bridal visits. I convinced my new family to allow her to wear finery too, but they drew the line at the crown. Only I was allowed to wear the crown. In typical Mishy fashion, she said that it looked very heavy and jingly anyway. I was extremely thankful for Mishy's presence as she made me feel more normal in the circus of what I called bridery. Somehow, the horrid room seemed almost pleasant when she was with me, and after less than pleasant guest visits, Mishy would lighten the mood with her jokes and fun stories of our youth. A few days after Mishy's arrival, a short, broad man entered the room at a fast walking pace, just on the brink of a run. He looked at me briefly, turned to Mishy, and then pounced on her like an apex predator on its prey. Seriously, he jumped into the air and landed on her, taking her down to the floor. Neither of us could know if he had rape, murder, or both on his mind, so we began fighting to get him off of Mishy. We were able to restrain him somewhat to prevent injury to Mishy, but we could not remove her from his grasp. Luckily, Harris happened to walk by with a couple of friends as the fight against this man escalated. The attacker was snapping at us with his teeth, and it was all that the three other men could do to separate him from Mishy. Harris knew this man and said that he had never seen him act this way. The three friends restrained the assailant and took him to a nearby health clinic to try to determine what was going on with him. It was there that he was diagnosed with an advanced case of rabies. Unlikely to survive, he had been transferred to a hospital that could provide palliative care. All of us were lucky that he had not had an opportunity to bite us. As we talked about the event and our relief that we were no longer in danger, the dream ended. That was a weird one, wasn't it? Let's see what our resources have to say this week. A woman dreaming of being a bride may find that she is trying to make peace between her relationship and her need for independence. Well, you can't get much more independent than me, even when I'm in a relationship. Maybe I need to tone it down a bit and accept some help. I've been working on that. A dream of wedding clothing portends that the dreamer will participate in pleasing works and will meet new friends. That sounds like fun, although I do rather like sticking with the people I know. Announcing a marriage to relatives in a dream signifies immediate recovery from being overly committed. I promise I love doing my job and this podcast. I'm not overcommitted, she said with her eyebrows furled. Dreaming of emigrating from your country indicates an upcoming change of residence. Will I finally get to live with my husband? That would be a treat. Emigration in a dream may also predict the receipt of a letter from a friend in another country. Perhaps this will be an email? I saw that my podcast was recently downloaded in Belgium. Maybe that listener is going to email me? Check the show notes for my email address. (laughs) 
In dreams, a friend in trouble means that you will receive unexpected good news. That's great, but then we have the rabies that Mishy barely escaped getting. Dreaming of rabies is said to mean that the dreamer is harboring extreme feelings of rage that might break out in violence if not dealt with carefully. That's curious. I don't know of any extreme rage that I'm feeling, but maybe it's in the trauma room in my brain. Maybe I'll share more about the trauma room later. It's an entire episode all by itself. Here's a good one. To see a guest in a dream may mean that you're ready for an adventure, or it may predict a renewal of friendships. Isn't it funny that a dream predicting a renewal of friendships came so close to my high school reunion next month? I'm sure I'll renew some friendships there. On a different note, Zolar tells me that dreaming of having guests calling on me means that I will fall prey to a seductive woman. Pray tell, who is this scandalous woman? I guess I'll know when she scrambles my brain with her irresistible magnetism. I hope she knows that I don't get out much. <laughs> but seriously, I wasn't sure if I was going to include inheritance in my interpretation notes, but the one resource that had an interpretation of inheritance had a really good one. From the Dream Dictionary app, I quote, Emotionally, our inheritance consists of the influence from the past from members of our family as to how we think and feel. Unless we understand those influences, we cannot break free from them. End quote. I thought this was relevant and inspiring. Coming from a fairly dysfunctional family, okay, not exactly fairly, I think my siblings and I have had to take a look at the influences of our family members and do the work to recover from those. If any of my siblings, you know who you are, need to talk about family matters, I'm always open to it. I think we all have come a very long way, especially given where we started. Speaking of a dysfunctional family, the image of the disapproving mother-in-law may indirectly express some anxieties of disapproval from our real mother. Hmm. Disapproval sounds kind of familiar in that relationship. Mom, if you're listening, I have two things to say. First, let's talk. And second, this is my podcast. <laughs> to dream of your mother-in-law predicts that there will be an unpleasant environment <laughs> To dream of your mother-in-law <laughs> Sorry, I'm going to leave all this laughter in because You'll see in a second. To dream of your mother-in-law predicts that there will be an unpleasant environment precipitated by you. Yeah, I believe I just precipitated that about 20 seconds ago. <laughs> mother-in-law dreams also predict that there will be a pleasant harmonization following a contentious period. That's good news. So yeah, let's talk, Mom. <laughs> okay, I think I've gotten myself into enough familial hot water now. So I'll move on to the meaning of that hideous brown room. Brown represents the earth, which can be a source of rejuvenation. Don't let the cosmetic companies hear about that. They'll start selling dirt in a jar to unwitting women. Some people believe that brown in a dream may represent some repressed creativity, while others believe that brown symbolizes concealment of a romantic emotion. The interpretation of the color brown that feels most relevant to me is the representation of the dreamer's steadiness in life and in their kinship with nature. 
Okay, the interpretation of that dream was as crazy as the dream itself. We touched on family, old friends, new friends, rage, love, sex, mental health, creativity, and connection to nature. Did we leave a single stone unturned? <laughs> Let me see if I have an appropriate sound for that terrible pun. No, I don't have anything. So just say wah, wah, wah to yourself. <laughs> There's something I've been trying to remember to do since the second episode, and I finally remembered it this week. Zolar's Encyclopedia and Dictionary of Dreams includes lucky numbers with each dream image or concept. I look up a lot of different things in Zolar's book each week, but what I plan to do is pick the image that is kind of the theme of my dream and give you the lucky numbers associated with that image. If you happen to win the lottery or something with the lucky numbers, my PayPal donation button appears with my show on many podcast sites and on my website, which is linked under the social media in the show notes. Please don't forget about me when you're rich beyond your wildest dreams. <laughs> this week's lucky numbers are those associated with bride, and they are 24, 26, 30, 35, 42, 47. Repeating so that you don't have to go back 24, 26, 30, 35, 42, and 47. Remember me if those work out for you. <laughs> when you go out to use those lucky numbers, you may need a sweater since autumn is upon us. At this time of year, retailers and spooky season lovers like me begin to think of Halloween. I thought today that we could talk about Halloween itself and some of the critters associated with it. Halloween, October 31st, is considered the last day of summer by some and is traditionally a day when the spirits of the dead can hang out with the living before winter. Joke's on them, though, because where I live, October 31st can bring temperatures from oppressively hot to bone-chillingly cold. It could be dry, raining, snowing, sleeting, or rain could be turning to ice as it strikes surfaces coating our houses, trees, cars, roads, and power lines. That sounds kind of like winter to me. I'm not sure why the dead have to finish hanging out before winter, unless maybe their need to leave before winter is the origin of the saying, when hell freezes over? I'll have to find out the origin of that saying. I'm very curious now. If I find anything, I'll share it in a future episode. In Ireland, it is said that if you hear footsteps behind you on Halloween, you should not turn to see who is there. If it is one of the dead following you and you see them, you will soon follow. In my opinion, not knowing who is coming up behind you can cause you to join the dead soon as well, so either way you might as well look. <laughs> the rest of the superstitions that I found about Halloween are about girls seeing their future husbands and or children in various reflective surfaces. What in the world does that have to do with Halloween? Many critters are included in Halloween decorations, and I'd like to talk about two of my favorites, cats and crows. We'll save spiders and rats for another day. Early Egyptians, as you probably know, revered cats. Male cats symbolized the sun, and female cats personified the moon. I'm not sure if they cared what color the cats were. Almost everywhere in the world except the U.S., black cats are considered good luck, and if one crosses your path, you should make a wish. I wonder why people in the U.S. consider them bad luck. I might have to look into that, too. I have homework this week. 
People in the U.S. and Europe are leery of white cats, and a stray tortoiseshell cat coming into your home is considered an omen of misfortune. <laughs> no wonder tortoiseshell cats are my favorite. <laughs> there are many, many other superstitions about cats. A cat sneeze is lucky for everyone in the family, but a series of three cat sneezes indicates that rain is coming. That's a great transition into cats' affinity for the weather. Nearly everything they do can be used to predict the weather. A cat scratching a table leg signifies a change in the weather. Washing their face over their ears predicts a long period of precipitation, and licking their tail foretells a rain shower on the way. I thought cats were considered bad luck on ships, but apparently enough cats have been aboard ships for sailors to develop superstitions about them. Sailors say that a cat crying on a ship is a warning of trouble to come. Well, yeah, cat seasickness doesn't sound like not trouble to me. A cat leaping and playing on a ship is said to predict high winds. But wouldn't that just mean the cat is being a cat? Or maybe that its seasickness is over? In any case, it sounds like cats make great barometers, which is extra useful in autumn when the weather can be totally unpredictable. Crows everywhere for time immemorial have been considered omens of death, or at best, misfortune. I mean, a group of them is called a murder after all. Supposedly, crows flying around a house and cawing is a prediction of death to come, and seeing one perching somewhere alone signifies bad luck in the future. My neighbors across the street must die like every day because there's always a crow cawing in their yard. <laughs> a bit like cats, crows are predictors of weather to come. A murder flying toward the sun in the morning foretells warm weather with no rain, whereas crows stalking around water at nighttime means that stormy weather is on the way. A murder of crows flying out of a wooded area is supposed to mean hard times ahead for all who see them. Smaller numbers of crows can mean other things, according to a verse from Maryland in the United States. Now, if you're from Maryland, I expect to hear from you because I want to know if this actually came from your state and or if you're even familiar with it. The rhyme goes, one crow's sorrow, two crow's mirth, three crow's wedding, four crow's birth. This is the third or fourth rhyme I've come across when researching superstitions, and I think most of them sound like they were written by 11-year-old girls. What do you think? So you can email me with your thoughts at wouldn'tdreamofit at gmail.com. And just as a quick reminder, if you're emailing or looking for me on social media, it's wouldn't without an apostrophe, and all the words are jammed together, like wouldn'tdreamofit at gmail.com. And now it's time for an astrology pop quiz. <laughs> Just kidding. We don't take anything that seriously on this podcast. We have, however, finally come to the point in our little astrology adventure where the sun has newly entered an astrological sign and we can dive deep into people born under that sign. I'm as excited as a puppy meeting new people. On average, the sun moves into Libra on September 22nd. Hmm, what day is today? and it remains in the seventh house of astrology until about October 23rd. I never thought of this before, but I learned from Wikipedia that Libra is the only astrological sign that is symbolized by an object, 
the scales of justice, rather than an animal or mythological creature. Libra is a masculine cardinal air sign that is ruled by Venus, the goddess of love and beauty. If you ask almost any astrologer, they'll tell you that people born under the sign of Libra are charming, balanced, diplomatic, and artistic. Librans are the high-end jewels on the zodiac market, and they are happiest if they're in a relationship. If born on the cusp of Virgo, the Libran is able to charm anyone into liking them. If you like them and want to get more intimate, you need only rub their lower back or bottom, which are their erogenous zones. Once you have a Libra declaring their love for you, which they will probably do quickly and sometimes when they really aren't quite there yet, what now? Well, they like to be taken care of, and they will do most of their thinking below their belts. They'll get offended or possibly enraged if you disagree with them. Prove yourself right, and they'll roll over and agree with you as if they weren't just arguing the opposite a moment ago. You may think all is well, but they'll never forgive you for being right. In a nutshell, you'll end up mothering them or murdering them. <laughs> Next week, we'll talk a little more about what to expect if you love a Libra. That chapter will be divided into loving the Libra man or the Libra woman. I know not everyone fits into these neat little male and female columns, so you may have to look at a little bit of each to really understand any Libras in your life. Please don't take offense, Libras. Everyone's turn will come. You just got to be first. Aren't you special? Okay, now that I've flattered the Libras, here's something to make you smile. This week's story from Upworthy.com is about a woman whose cat was perturbed when the family went on vacation over the summer. He has expressed his distaste about burglarizing the neighbors on a daily basis. This gorgeous black cat, Cleo, literally commits B&E on people's homes and cars, coming home with clothes and other trophies. Cleo's person, Jean Weeks, now has to keep a box outside so people can come by and claim their things. It's a good thing I'm not Jean and Cleo's neighbor. As often as I misplace things, I'd be making a trip to that box several times a day. Creating this show for you is a dream come true for me, so your support means everything. Please tell your family, friends, co-workers, traffic cops, and your aunt's husband's cousin's best friend about Witten Dream of It. Your support will keep us growing. Also, please give me your thoughts about the sound quality on the podcast this week because I am trying a different location in my home. Um, you can email me at wittendreamofit at gmail.com. Wouldn't Dream of It is produced, written, and edited by me, Eliza Jones. Marketing assistance provided by Lapis Hale and Leah Wade. Original song, Dreams and Nightmares by Twisted. That's Twisted with a Y. Find them on Facebook as Twisted Twisted, both with a Y instead of an I. Connect with us on social media at Wouldn't Dream of It. That's Wouldn't without the apostrophe. Be sure to check my show notes for a complete list of references used to create this podcast. Have a great week, and I'll talk to you soon.